Hello and welcome to this week's Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Alison Glennie. I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working as the Baptist Union of Great Britain's Public Issues Enabler and part of the Joint Public Issues team. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the political and pulpit landscape and today I'm really pleased to introduce Kerry Scarlett, Methodist Deacon and Learning and Development Officer. She's a co-founder of the Adavu Project, uh, a project supporting survivors of modern slavery and, and it's now become something something slightly more than that. Is that right, Kerry? Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Um, welcome. <laughs> uh, do you want to do, introduce yourself a little bit more and maybe tell us a little bit about um, what does politics in the pulpit mean for you? Uh, hi, Alison. Thank you for inviting me on. It's a, a real privilege. Yeah, so I'm Kerry. Um, I'm a, a Methodist deacon, as you mentioned. So in the Methodist church, that means that we are both... Um, part of um, an order of ministry as ordained people, but we're also part of a, a dispersed religious order, the Methodist diaconal order. And I guess like lots and lots of Methodist ministers, we move around or are asked to move around quite a lot, hence the hence the, the lots of different things that I've been involved in. Uh, so yeah, a couple of um, appointments ago, I uh, was one of the co-founders of Adavu, it's still going today, supporting adult survivors of modern slavery. Um, and also around the same time, co-finding what is now the West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network, which is um, a network of practitioners really coming together from lots of different backgrounds, statutory and non-statutory sector to try and address the issue uh, in the West Midlands nationally and beyond. Uh, so I've also been involved in chaplaincy. I was one of the chaplaincy team at the NEC group, which some of you might recognise from the TV. It's where the Conservative Party usually hold their conference sometimes. Um, previously, I was one of the tutors at the Queen's Foundation, which is where we train all of our Methodist ministers, but also some Anglican colleagues, some uh, colleagues from Black Majority and Pentecostal churches. Um, and I'm now one of the uh, learning and development officers in the, in the learning network. Uh, so a bit, of, a bit about me and, and why I think politics in the pulpit is, is so vital. Um, so I'm originally from Belfast in Northern Ireland. This is a very... Um, slowed down Belfast accent because actually <laughs> I talk so fast and it's so strong that, that people can't hear me. Um, I came to faith in my mid-20s. My family sort of went to church but but for me I had quite a powerful um, I guess conversion experience in a nightclub in my mid-20s. This is a, a story for another time um, but I guess I was one of those new Christians that um, as a minister I recognise um, are both a, a gift and, and a challenge <laughs> because I'm kind of reading the Bible for the first time in this quite, you know, kind of lively evangelical church. Lots of stuff going on, but also saying, hey, um, I'm I'm reading this passage and, and Jesus says we need to do this. And the prophets are saying we need to do this. And there's something about challenging injustice and going out to be alongside and, and learn from people who are different to us. And how are we doing this as a church? And, and that did lead to some detached youth work, which, again, is well, many stories for another time, but I think I've always had that sense that for me coming to faith meant a part of that following Jesus also involved living out that call to, to seek justice, to, to figure out, you know, if politics in its broadest sense is how we are in human community together, 
Mm. Then part of my faith is motivating me to see what does that look like? How are people best enabled to flourish? How are lives transformed and, and communities transformed? So I guess it kind of felt like a natural flow. And I guess then moving to England and sensing a call to ordain ministry um, felt like a further outworking of that, felt like a way of of both my engaging and, and encouraging other people to to engage in that aspect of the call. You know, it's um, it's really interesting to me um, how many of my colleagues are Northern Irish. And I, oh. I often meet other people in faith and politics who are also Northern Irish. And it, it's, I think, a space where we, because, because of the history, really people understand the connections between faith and politics in a way that I think um, sometimes in uh, the middle of Middle England or uh, perhaps, you know, the rural end of rural Scotland um that that might not be felt quite so keenly um and I I do I do wonder if it's if it's a particular gift of of Northern Irish Christianity actually that um that having having weathered the troubles and continuing to weather the troubles actually um that there's something there's something in that I I I don't know I just I'm just really struck by the fact you know how how often that that seems to be true um and Mm -hmm. yeah I just um but it just well it makes me wonder anyway Hmm. Um, so um from your context is there anything you'd really want us to be hearing our, our kind of our preachers this week um as they're preparing to kind of be thinking this is a kind of a key social justice issue or uh, a political issue or a new story perhaps that they kind of you really think oh, okay this is this is the one on my heart I would want people to have that in with them as they're preparing I feel as though um at this time, in this sort of liminal space, I've been doing a lot of thinking about liminal spaces. Um, it can feel as though we're almost overwhelmed with the level of injustice and the level of surfacing violence, um, the surfacing impact of decades-long trauma. And I guess as we record, you know, we've had the the verdict on, on the Derek Chauvin trial. We're, we're waiting to hear, you know, what next. Um, a couple of weeks back, my home city of Belfast was in the news again. The, not a couple of streets away from where I used to live. I used to live just off Lanark Way before I moved to England. It's in the news again um, because of the, the violence there. You know, unrest, young people who are being incited, being groomed into acts of violence um, related to a legacy of stuff that they won't even remember. You know, these kids weren't born in, in the, during the Troubles like like I was. Um and then I guess on a on a more general level that the kind of our awareness of the of what the pandemics brought to light you know on the one hand churches are wrestling or Methodist churches are wrestling with okay we're reopening but what to what does this look like um ministers around me and, and I'm sure this isn't just a Methodist thing but but we looked at our regional synod about how people are feeling and the level of exhaustion and overwhelm Mm. Um, and I suspect many people listening to this that will resonate you know our faith can be from one day to the next both up and down and our energy to engage in social justice issues up and down so so it feels as though the burden of that um uh, is both with us with us but also then that that motivation to think well then what are we called to what does it mean to engage in works of seeking justice and seeking the common good and seeking the flourishing of people from a from a place that we feel uh, when we feel overwhelmed mm. Yes. yes, I think the pandemic's really brought through that. Um, oh, I've got a bit of on my microphone. I'm just going to move that. Um, I really brought through this um, thing about 
how the pastoral and the political are so connected actually um you know and meaning that political in the kind of human sense i think that human organizing what does it mean to have power and community thing yeah um we i always ask my jpic colleagues just for their insight and and what they would say from their kind of um with their kind of expertise in in things political like what, what should i be keeping an eye on what what should i what should our preachers mm. be keeping an eye on? and they've um they, they've obviously highlighted um continuing covid story uh, especially for india this week um especially because um a lot of our churches and a lot of our ministers and members have uh, signed the people's vaccine uh, campaign and that that will be um coming out tomorrow uh, which is um the day that this will actually be coming out so i say tomorrow um it should be coming out today if you're watching this on tuesday it's, we are recording on monday uh, but it should be coming out on on um the same day so uh hopefully that's that's a part of a noise that churches have been part of making about um vaccine um yeah equality and then um we've got um it's the last sunday before election season so um it's about to be elections um now um i think local elections don't get quite the same energy in england but in scotland this is particularly important because obviously it's the, you know the big question around um union is always lurking in the background there so um but you know really encourage you especially I think if you're feeling a bit lethargic but I think we've been reminded of how important local politics are at the moment um in kind of our local locked down lives and actually just to yeah we encourage you to go and vote if that um and to check out the resources on the JPIT website um and if all else fails to pray um and um yeah there's there's stuff there under yeah, jointpublicissues.org.uk forward slash elections and then um yeah the, so it's been a it's been a it's been a lot of conversation around the government this week around corruption um, and what maybe truthfulness and integrity might look like um and i would say um that's that's something that we uh might have want to have in the back of our minds when we're coming to our text today because that might actually pick up some of the themes that are in our texts um there's uh, wednesday's international workers memorial day which is a day of action and remembrance for people killed injured or made ill by their work so um just flag that um and then the big a big key story as well is that trussell trust have just re released their figures for the last financial year and they're extremely high uh, particularly for children so they've had 2.5 million food parcels in one year, which is a 128% increase in need from this time five years ago, and a 33% increase from this time last year. And that's three parcels a minute to adults and nearly two a minute to children. Um, so that those statistics are worth really remembering as well as we're thinking about justice and um, what that looks like in our world. Um, it's worth just being aware of in this country how many how many children are currently hungry and being fed by charities. Um, so it's feeling a bit bleak in the world. <laughs> um, we're, we're feeling a bit emotionally exhausted in this opening up our churches, risk assessment, seeing everything to the hilt. And uh, where do we go from here? What is this new world anyway? Um, so we turn to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what else can we do? Um, and our readings in the lecture this week are Acts 8, 26 to 40, which is um, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, we've got 1 John 4, which um, is um, 
about uh, all about love. Um, and then uh, we've got John 15, which is uh, the gospel reading this week, which is I am the true vine um, and my father is the vine grower. Um, so, Kerry, I don't know if you've had um, you've had a bit of a chance to look at these. Which do any of these jump out at you or is there a theme, perhaps um, something that you think this is? This is for me the key thing, the key question or the key issue or um, the key idea, the key text, perhaps. I don't know. Where would you start? Where would you begin? I, I guess for me, the word that kept coming to mind when I was making a few notes on, on each of the passages and reflecting was that of, of mutuality and, and what we really mean uh, by that. When we talk about kind of mutuality and, and inclusion and um yeah, what do each of these passages say on that? Because it felt as though that was the thing that kept that kept resonating most in, in different ways. Um, and I think maybe for me, looking at the Acts 8 passage through that lens felt a little bit different to perhaps I'd heard it preached on before or, or engaged with before. Mm. I, was, I was struck by what you said about liminality, actually, earlier. Yeah. Um, like one of the gospel, one of the commentaries I was reading on Acts was talking about kind of the liminality of space and person and, and how this kind of... Um, yeah, the kind of this moving out on this wilderness road that's going on in this kind of Acts passage of of kind of um, what what is going on in this in this particular body as well that that the Ethiopian eunuch has and how how he is a meeting point of so many different things that we might think of um, being still really key issues um, and and kind of key conversations around. You know, we'd use the word intersectionality now quite quite perhaps um if we were doing it in a kind of academic context um but kind of these you know where do these kind of uh, connection points between uh, lots of different points of embodiment and um and injustice in the world come together and and he is he is somebody who actually experiences most of it in his body isn't he that um you know he's 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 Ethiopian so um he's black uh, he's probably Jewish um because it's not having a conversation about uh whether he's a gentile or not he's in slavery so his body is not his own um he's used um and he's a eunuch so um he's on the fringes of what considered to be proper uh within sexuality and gender so basically all of our big controversial issues in one go right here isn't it that's opening up for us if we want to but in a very human story yeah yeah that, that really strikes me time and again with this passage and I was reminded and, and I've, I've checked I think it's available online if anyone wants by uh, um, a sermon by Nadia Boats Weber has done on this she's done it a couple of times she did one a few years back and then she kind of revisits it a, a few years later uh, on this and I love her reflection on um, you know how we so often and this really it's back to what Selena was saying last week actually so often we kind of when we read this passage, we identify with Philip and that kind of sense of being, you know, asked to go out and encounter kind of the spirit in unexpected places and with unexpected people. Uh, but she really challenges us to, to look at this passage from the perspective of the Ethiopian eunuch. Actually, what did it mean for him mm. to offer this kind of space for ongoing conversation, to kind of offer this hospitality to Philip? Um, knowing, as he might have done, that actually for some other Jewish people, the fact that he was um, a eunuch may have been something that they saw as problematic, that that he meant, you know, that something othering to them. And I kind of love that, that kind of that mutuality and inclusion aren't just about us saying, 
you know, okay, you know, come and have a chat, we'll kind of accept you. But there's this kind of mutuality. Um, what does it mean to invite each other into that space and, and be vulnerable together, which I really, really like that it's not a one-sided conversation. Um, mm. that there's a kind of a receptive attitude on the behalf of the Ethiopian eunuch, um, as well as Philip. Yeah, because I mean, it's very much like the Holy Spirit is saying, catch up to the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip. Isn't it? <laughs> catch up, you know, he's already there. You know, he's already got this. Now you need to go and catch up to what this means. And um, yeah, that's a really, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's so interesting. Um, I was looking at the the text um, that um, that is being quoted from, you know, that he's reading in Isaiah, and it's quoted to it. So it's not there by accident. You know. The, you know our text really wants us to know what that text said and um and it and it's this text all about a body that's humiliated isn't it and um uh and i think it's so it's so interesting um willie james jennings from a kind of post-colonial uh kind of perspective um talks about the idea that no one should be left alone with a text um mm -hmm. that we need and i and uh, we kind of need this need companions to help us uh discern the meaning um and and he's you know this this Ethiopian eunuch you know he's got this body which in many ways may be seen as as humiliating or humiliated, um, but but actually is um, yeah he's very wealthy he's got this huge political you know he is politics in the pulpit he is a political figure he's a treasurer you know he's he's got the wealth to buy a scroll he's in a chariot you know he's taking a risk having Philip come on and not be a robber you know um, or or a bandit of some kind you know there's there's all sorts. There's all sorts going on here, isn't there? This is a wilderness road, yeah. it's a dangerous space for him to say, "Come aboard and and talk to me about this." And and he so he's taking this huge gamble in mm. saying, "Come and be my companion as you discern this text with me and guide me through or debate it with me." And um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot in there, isn't there? I think about kind of yeah, liminality of space and personhood and where do we meet God and in each other and in the other, which we, yeah. I think yeah. that's really, it's reminded me as well, I recently was at a research seminar with uh, Dr. Gifford Ramey, who's a senior lecturer at Newbolt College, which is an Adventist college. And he's done uh, some research. I think it may be his PhD research. And I think it, it may be being published, but at kind of academic book prices. So a lot. Uh, but kind of his research <laughs> into this passage, <laughs> uh, you know, he says, actually, we, we need to both recognise I guess that, you know, the distinctiveness of who the Ethiopian eunuch is and all that he brings, but actually recognising that this is an example of what that context was like at the time, that it was actually, that especially the road he was travelling, a kind of really cosmopolitan in nature, really kind of multicultural in its best sense. So what Philip is being invited into really is this, is this world, this culture where people are traveling, you know, wealthy people are traveling, that the, the Ethiopian unit was traveling in convoy with lots of other people, that there was lots of kind of ongoing trade and, and almost Philip's invitation into this journey with, with, with difference and outside of, of what he may have been used to, this kind of idea of, you know, people mingling together, I really loved. Um, and therefore that re further reinforces it, that, that invitation to, you know, that question, you know, do you understand? Maybe coming from Philip isn't about superiority. I'll, I'll tell you everything I know, but actually, it's a how can we talk about this and learn from each other? And I, I love that that mutual perspective. Mm. I think um, 
I also come back to this this question about um, what is there to stop me from being baptized, and and I think um, I, I think there's there's something, isn't there, about um, the church's own politics? Uh, perhaps we need to own um, that we we have a habit of claiming some bodies are uh, more holy and more appropriate and more um, able to be kind of somehow bearers of grace than others, and actually uh, this is very much challenging that and turning that inside out and saying that this is this is the body that Jesus is identifying with and um the one that maybe society would have excluded for a whole heap of reasons um and 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 being a eunuch would have been um a barrier for some access to points of worship and and um and and yet he's gone to worship yet he's still gone to Jerusalem to go and worship and and I think there's this thing about saying yeah, no, this is this is what grace <laughs> looks like. This is this is what this is what holiness looks like. And then um, and and I think I think it was uh, I think it was Willie James Jennings again, actually, who said something about faith will always find water. And I loved that. And I just loved this idea that actually there will they will always find some water to uh, to to be baptized in. And I thought that's that's great. I, I just yes, faith will always find water. And we we might try and declare the lines of what we think. Um, church and holiness and who can do what looks like but faith will always find water and like I hope I hope so (laughs) I hope the churches manages to be bigger than its comfort zone Um, because I think often the 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 kind of white imperial colonialized version of of church that we we the colonializing version of church that we we perpetuate so much of the time is is definitely one that that kind of needs reforming from the inside out Um, We've we've talked a bit about Acts. There's also um, a John. Um, I, I think I think the temptation is to very much preach on Acts. So, so where the story seems to be going after Easter, but um, but here here is John set up as a kind of supporting text. This time the gospel gets to play the supporting fiddle, and um, and uh, it's all about vines. And I, yeah. I was really struck when I read it. Um, uh, just we've got a vine in our garden and um and I live in a church house so it's has been planted by um a you know a minister many years ago has planted this beautiful massive rambling vine that takes over and um and it currently looks very dead (laughs) it's um over winter it looks completely dead and then suddenly like in about two days it goes from looking completely and utterly dead to being like absolutely full of leaves like a absolutely astonishing and I I'm not a gardener <laughs> and I and I was just struck by how agricultural this image is of a vine and it's saying you know um this idea of kind of what which branches are alive and which ones are dead like at the moment I can't tell <laughs> like I don't know what I'm doing which ones to prune off and which ones not to and I was just struck by how wonder how much how much sometimes the images that um were very commonplace then are kind of actually much rarer to us now and and kind of just thinking you know does this does this show us something about actually this is maybe trickier than we think you know which wines are going to bear fruit we got we can't actually tell at the moment maybe um because yeah so I was thinking that but also I can tell you that if you do prune a vine it comes back (laughs) with a vengeance sometimes you're better off (laughs) it's taking over my entire garden um yeah um I do, do you have um is there anything that's kind of struck you out of this passage that you kind of pick up on or talk about yeah I, I'm still captured by your by your <laughs> attempts to hack back the vine and I think that's something in a way that that offers some hope into what we were talking about earlier, earlier this idea of 
you know, our being in a liminal space or not quite sure. You know, this is so different for us as, you know, as, as churches, kind of as a denomination or, or, uh, or kind of local communities. You know, this is different to a season of change management of, of even mission action planning or whatever we do, where we kind of have a sense of, right, this is where we're headed and this is what we're going to do. And I feel as though we're in a season where we've been called out of that and everything that we might usually engage with, you know, for some church communities, new things will have sprung up, you know, new ways to, to respond to injustice or needs within their own space. Um, but for others, um, you know, I have a sense that people are feeling a little bit like your vine, you know, this sense of being dormant. What have we been able to do? Mm. You know, have we had to kind of draw our resources back? Um, and therefore, what next? Um, you know, where are the spaces going to be where we flourish? Where are the things that, that are that will be pruned? And that's a really difficult space to be in. I think the temptation for lots of us is to is to retreat a little bit inwards, whether that's personally or as a church community. And and we and the thing that slips can be our commitment to one another, our our kind of mutual flourishing, our seeking of justice and, and wider transformation. And and so I guess there's a temptation to read the passage in a way which makes us feel guilty and I think your analogy that you've just shared is, is one really good way to recognize that things move in seasons and the spirit and growth happen in unexpected ways and, and that what we're called to do is abide um, and to recognize the mutuality of that abiding that as we abide um, Jesus God is abiding with us um, as uh, a Methodist deacon and, and I follow a rule of life as part of a religious order and that, you know, keeping that rule, that kind of rhythm of knowing that we have to both breathe in and breathe out. We can't just keep breathing out. We can't just keep giving. But there will be times when we need to breathe in and think, well, what sustains me? And mm. um, what sustains us as a community in really difficult times like this? So that so that when the season and the time's ready to to kind of to breathe out, to be given out again, we're we're prepared. And I think that kind of link between spirituality and, and social action and our political engagement is something we need to to abide with i yeah I, I really struck that there's this this comment in there about um ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for mm. you and um yeah. and i think there's really it's the pastoral question isn't it that that pins this passage yeah. out. actually really challenging maybe for a lot of a lot of people who are um, feeling the mental health fallout or the grief of this year um, and that might be you know having lost somebody beloved might be having lots lots of beloveds in a church community and it might have been um, it might have just been about witnessing stuff if if you've been a key front worker or you know lots of different potential griefs in there that we we've all we've all been we've all got grief for different ways in this year and I think um, it's about how do, how do we how do we say actually you you have how do we put this down for a while um and how do we give ourselves space to grieve actually before kind of rushing into the next season but then kind of um yeah this challenge of well where has God been in all of that you know has, has does God neatly answer prayers in the in the way that we kind of would like would like God to um and um and I really struck with that's the pastoral question that lurks and I know it's a political thing but actually there is this political yeah I think that for me that's that's part of it actually where is where where has God been in those places where particularly certain communities have been so much harder hit than others and um 
yeah and 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 how are we sustained and how do we sustain one another and maybe some of that sustaining is about those of us with more voice at the moment making it a louder shout for those who have less voice and um yeah I'm always struck by the Lord's prayer that um that we pray for our daily bread and that um that's a prayer for people who don't have resources that's not a prayer for people who have resources um that's a prayer for those who've got nothing and and I always feel like that when I if you're feeling like under I think we can see prayer as resourcing and I think that's a very kind of commercial kind of way of looking at prayer but um actually what if it's about saying no this is a relationship that's about sustaining those who who have nothing first and then those of us with with bread come to it second that's that's you know it's not our prayer first um which is an aside liturgically but I think <laughs> it's something about how I would read this abiding it's um yeah it's, it's really tricky I'm also struck um with the politics going on in this week that um that Israel's got this um is often depicted as a vine in the Old Testament um and and in every instance that where it is depicted as a vine it's it's um a condemnation it's it's a it's, this is a nation set under judgment uh, of God for its corruption and particularly sometimes for its failure to produce good fruit and I really um aware of it there are some news stories about <laughs> political corruption going on in the moment and um and maybe you know yeah. I, I wouldn't want to say we were um we were Israel part two over here in, in Westminster definitely not so don't fear Scotland I'm definitely not arguing that and certainly with the kind of you know thinking of the kind of some of the you know post-colonial critics of that like it's tempting I think we sometimes do te- we're tempted to do that but I think sometimes we see the church as taking over don't we and I think it's not the church that's the true vine it's Jesus that's the true vine and I think um maybe if we sit that next to this conversation around the Ethiopian eunuch that that's what a holy body looks like that there's something really challenging there about kind of sometimes the church thinking that we get to choose who gets pruned off and actually God gets (laughs) to choose who gets pruned off absolutely yeah and that, that's the challenge where the challenge lies, isn't it? I think there's something about this, um, yeah, expectation. You know, this, this isn't speaking to a community that, that's kind of settled and rested and kind of, you know, not about keeping your vine nice and tidy you know, in a way that we might, you know, we sometimes hear this passage unpacked that it's kind of individual or our own little church community. But actually there's something about, come on, if you're not producing food, if there's not this kind of outward stuff, which is, you know, missionally focused which is you know you know yeah bearing fruit bearing goodness and in a way that's outward focused and then what's going on Mm -hmm. for you so it's not self-serving is it yeah yeah and the birds come and eat the grapes don't they and yeah Yeah. they get and they get seeded out and take vines everywhere yeah 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 yeah. it's it's kind of the opposite of control isn't it i guess yeah Yeah, in some ways (laughs) absolutely um I don't know if there's a way you'd um you know kind of as you gather some of these ideas together and people are thinking about where they go with their sermon this week I don't know if there's anything that you think oh this is how I'm gonna go about it um you might not have got there yet um I I don't know how I'd go about it this week but um is there there anything for you that you think I'd I'd really want to make that point or I'd really want to land it this way or use this illustration perhaps or resource maybe yeah, I guess this this feels to me as though it could be an invitation to help people really reflect on their on their context and what's their, what they're saying. And in my learning and development role, and part of what I'm really keen 
to enable, amongst lots of other things, is to enable kind of that local church community engagement. You know, what is really going on at grassroots in your local community? Because you are the people who have opportunity to to kind of go and listen, to go and hear, you know, to to be alongside people who you may not, you know, see on a Sunday morning or whenever you gather um, and who you will expect to to learn from. So that kind of sense of reciprocity. Um, and I think that's where I might want to start it in quite a contextual manner, because I, I think my experience, and it, it could just be mainly within Methodism, but that's often the bit where people struggle. So they're quite good at you know, hearing the the kind of the big picture stuff, the kind of the news stories and, and recognising, you know, injustice and a need for change there. But what does that look like in those one-to-one conversations? Mm. Um, you know, what do you kind of see and hear and learn? And I, I really love, I love the kind of the tools that community organising offers, for example, but I also love the practice of community organising in its best sense where we are. Um, asked to engage in those kind of broad-based conversations where we are working alongside people, um, you know, who have very different experiences from us um, in lots of different ways in our own communities and, and kind of figuring out where that kind of sense of the common good lies. And I think that's where I'd want to want to be looking at with this um, if, if I were to be leading. But I recognise that really depends on folk who are able to, to preach into a context that they that they perhaps know well or know where they'd run with. What, what about you, Beth? Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Um, I um, I I think if you're gonna talk about sexuality, I'm gonna, mm. you know, maybe quietly <laughs> could lose all my followers overnight. Um, but I think this is it's a huge. I mean, I'm I'm public issues enabler. I frequently joke you could just take the L out of my name like my title like you just take the l out and it would it would still stand you know it's that the controversial body ethics is the thing that the church keeps getting its knickers in a twist about like we just how we agree or disagree and what our theology is on this one is the orthodoxy issue of the moment um and um and i think um this is probably a text to start unpicking some of that inclusion if you want to this would be the one i would use I think um now that's controversial and I'm not saying you have to have a particular view because we don't know we don't know what this means you know and it's it's so interesting is it? it's left Ethiopian eunuch is this story of the Ethiopian eunuch isn't told to us we don't know what it means it where he goes on his way rejoicing we don't know what happens next so um so I think I, I, I can leave it deliberately open-ended but I think it asks us to engage with the question in a particular way and seeing people at the heart of that conversation because here is a, here is a person for whom this is a an act you know he wants to worship he wants to be a part of faith he wants to discern what scripture means and that we need that voice in order to know what scripture means um and I think that's where I think I would maybe go with it um but it would very much depend on where I was and um, I've preached quite a lot as an itinerant preacher and I um so I think I would very carefully pick my <laughs> pick my audience on that one and put my hard hat on and if I was preaching by zoom I don't think I would go there because um I yeah. think it's a conversation that you have to have face to face actually I think that's really important too um that this is this is about um being in person with another you know they are riding in a carriage next to each other when they're having that conversation and I would be be nervous about doing that one online yeah it feels tricky but I I think there's potential isn't there because it equally it feels different you know we often often talk about the kind of the clobber passages and 
people all know what ones those are and this feels a little bit different to that doesn't it a different way into that um and again that sense of mutuality that that the Ethiopian eunuch although we don't know his name he's he's got all of this gift and this longing to be part of of you know of this community to offer which is such a a positive thing you know underpins that idea I I was briefly a temporary pioneer pastor for a place of gathering in Birmingham which is one of our church plants you know we kind of talk about you know embracing radical inclusion not not just because it's kind of a trendy idea but actually because we think it's at the heart of the gospel and I think there's this passage just illustrates that so beautifully but yeah yeah it should feel like gift or or too much of a challenge in some spaces yeah but I think I think it's I think it's a question to bear in mind I think when you're coming to it that this is I think those conversations around gender and sexuality and race are all current key controversial topics and actually if we're not grappling with them in church life you know um and open open to trying to explore what what does it mean how do we how do we read text together and can we read text together and come to a place of saying uh there's water here <laughs> actually mm-hmm. I, think, I think I think that's what I'd I'd really want I'd, that's what I'd want for the church and I think that um both you know there we become sides in this debate and I think what we need to be is people in a carriage together and then um, and I think yeah well anyway there we go I, I might not have a job next week if you see somebody else leading politics in the pulpit it's because I've been too <laughs> controversial by saying we should but for us certainly even opening up the question is a really is a really tricky issue it's um it's but it's happening I'd say um for anybody under the age of 40 it's it's a huge conversation about the church and whether they want to be a part of it and I think um we need to, we need to probably own that um so on that controversial note sorry Kerry <laughs> you'll go down I'm so, so glad you raised it I it. <laughs> <laughs> um I um I think we should probably uh pray um so we, we always um just say thank you to everybody for tuning in and and listening and um Kerry, thank you to you for bringing your wisdom and your um, your heart, your faith, your life of, of polit- political pulpit and pulpit po- politics um, to us. And we're really grateful for that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you to everybody for joining us. And, and we hope that um, preparing your sermon goes really well and, and returning to church is in person, perhaps for the first time or maybe not yet. Uh, all those deliberations are going well in the background. Um, and all that the work that you do and social justice issues are also um, are anointed by God. So let's go with um, with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Thank you, Gary. <laughs>